Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and you're listening to the Sportacast. Oh, Novi Williams. I, I, I mean, we have an opportunity, and like you're listening to the buzzer beating edition, the something, you, nothing. You just went regular again. Why don't you intro our guest and then people will understand why I said it's the buzzer beating edition. I wish there was a way to push notifications to our listeners, Scott, to let them know that we are doing this podcast. We're sitting with CEO of Buzzer, Bohan. Bo, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, gents. It's great to be here. It, it is great to be here because we're kind of a new business. You're kind of a new business. We've been chatting sort of about how do you get going? And you have this new this new office space, but just just give us a glimpse. We can see you, but paint the picture for the listeners as to you know yeah you had some funding you know had a funding round. We'll get to that the who and the what. We'll get to that. But tell me what you did with it. I love your approach that we don't need glossy, pretty, perfect. That's not what's important when you're building a business. Take people inside what you decided to do, just in terms of your physical space. Yeah, um, we have 12 desks uh, in a WeWork space. Um, I tweeted about it. Um, As I told you guys earlier, I zoomed out, used the nice little fisheye angle to make this place look a lot bigger. I mean, the light fixtures are really nice. Um, I did Very industrial looking, very industrial. Looks good. I mean, high ceilings, good light. What what can you ask for? But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we've, you know, we've been in, you know, in business for a year and a half and we've done everything remotely. Uh, we currently have a team of 47 folks based off of 33 different cities. And for the record, I did not want an office. I was pretty comfortable working from home. You kind of, um, adjust to, um, I mean, my wife and I joke around about, you know, we've spent our first year of marriage and we've, uh, and I've spent our first year, uh, of buzzer all at home. And so, um, all of that has converged into us yelling on top of each other, uh, over each other and um, starting a very fun, you know, uh, business, uh, but also com- uh, culture and team uh, purely remotely. And so this physical place is a, is a nice luxury, um, but it's not something that's uh, a necessity for us, uh, thankfully. So, um, you know, I, I do appreciate this. Uh, private space that we have, I have currently uh, for the sake of uh, the health of my marriage. So, uh, <laughs> so that's what I did with our recent round of funding is I got a 300 square foot uh, office. I will make no, no bones about the state of my marriage or Eben Novi Williams and, and his cohabitation relationship. But I will tell you that Eben and I have been seeing quite a bit of each other in the office in the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, we can empathize with this idea of starting a business with uh, a lot of people that don't know each other and never met in person. I feel like at this point, we're, Scott, we're a, bit, a little over a year in and maybe half the people we work with I've never met uh, in person yet. Um, are you both thinking about bringing everybody back at some point? I know you have the space. 12 is obviously not enough to house everybody. But, but how do you think about kind of permanently letting a lot of your people stay remote or bringing people to a central location? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, the health and well-being of our teammates is paramount. And so we're obviously taking guidance from, you know, various other advisors that um, are, 
you know, monitoring the CDC and just the state of affairs in terms of um, you know, the pandemic. Um, but in terms of working from home or working at an office, uh, it's purely optional. Um, we are going to remain a fully distributed office. Uh, as I mentioned before, we're based out of 33 different cities. So I have no plans of creating 33 of these. Um, <laughs> let's be a little bit responsible here. But also, you know, we've found that there is a very special, um, uh, we, we found something special where we've made this work, right? And Evan, as you said, like you have not met um, half, over half of your team. Um, I'm in the same boat. Um, but when you go through something that is um, so just profound, but also so uh, impactful uh, as um, going through a global health crisis together, um, going through no live sports and figuring out how to you know, return uh, together, um, also creating a company, but also creating a culture that is inclusive, that is accepting and equitable, uh, fully remote. But also um, learning how to just hire people over Zoom is something that I had to mentally just cope with and, and, and get over because I'm like, man, like, but let's, let's just kind of talk about it. Like, why do we feel that we need to shake someone's hand in order for us to trust, trust that person? Secondly, you know, in hiring too, we've always put a geo lens in everything where, what's your name? Where are your base? We're based in New York. Are you open to reload? has nothing to do with the job or whether or not that person can do the job. It's, are you willing to move where I am? And if the answer is no, then it's, that's kind of the end of the discussion, right? And so if you remove geo out of it, um, it's remarkable how incredible talent that you can actually hire. Um, but also just a very diverse group that we've been able to, um, you know, bring together. And so that's been a very special experience for the last 18 months. All right, let's, let's discuss. Wait, hold on, let me let's discuss buzzer a, a little bit, Bo, because I'm curious. Was there a moment that crystallized the idea? For me, it's always the NCA tournament, and every year when I needed to find True TV because it was a close game, and I had no idea what channel lineup you know on on my particular carrier where it was. But was there a moment where it crystallized for you that people need to know? that there's an event going on, there's a close ending, something they're going to want to see, um, and they don't have to go look, search it out. You'll let me know and take me right there. Yeah, I mean, the True TV actually, to just reply off of your comment, um, the True TV moment actually happened to me in March, where I open up Twitter and I see a tweet, Texas, Abilene Christian is about to upset Texas. So two questions on True TV. Two questions. What's Abilene Christian? Two, what channel is True TV on? Yes. Um, you know, spoiler alert, it's nothing near Turner Properties or CVS Properties. It's like three folds down, right? And, you know, it all depends on... number. Yeah. Yes. But I will yes. say, though, technology yes. has made it like 20 years ago, and, and Evan doesn't even know this because he's too young, but like for me, I'd have to go, oh my Lord, I'd have to go from two to 400 and figure out where True TV is. Nowadays, the remote, you know, remote controls where you just say True TV, boom. And it hits. I think you're. I think you're in the fraction because if you go on Google and write up uh, Abilene Christian, Texas, it says where to watch preloaded for you. So that's just a signal, a consumer signal for you that people just don't know where to find what, right? And so, um, as you know, like 
these are live and ephemeral moments. And by the time you figure out where true TV is, the game is done. Right. Um, and, and as you know, I, I, I worked at Twitter. I was at Twitter for seven years, spent great seven years there. The last four out of the seven years, um, I was very fortunate uh, enough to work in licensing um, live sports uh, for our platform. And I had a front row seats uh, into uh, the mo- these moments that are constantly trending uh, on Twitter. And, you know, when you're seeing that, that tweet of, you know, Bucks Suns coming down to the wire in game six, right? Um, if you're watching the game, great, great for you. You know, that's what we call NBA Twitter. And there's an incredible, engaging sub-community within Twitter. But if you're not, then you have this momentary panic of where's the nearest TV or sports bar, right? Uh, what channel is it on? What subscription is it part of? And by the time you figure that out, it's done. It's a clip or a highlight on Twitter. And you're seeing that clip multiple times. Like how many times have you seen the Drew Holiday uh, Giannis dunk? You know, be honest. Like I've seen that probably 10 times in, you know, in minutes because SportsCenter, ESPN, Bleacher Report, House of Highlights, um, maybe Sportico. You know, like if you guys if you guys are t- retweeting um, highlights, you're seeing that. Thank you, time. thank you, Bo. Yeah, I'm plugging you guys because you guys. Have- <laughs> so um, so it, it's you know for me it's always been like how do I drive an incremental audience, a net new audience, in this short amount of time because we know that there is a very leaned in audience that will watch it if we just make it easy and simple for those to uh, to actually access that content because. To be quite honest, those are the most marketable moments, uh, you know, in in the game uh, when when it's coming down to the wire. So is is that your pitch? You guys are working with the NBA, the NHL, the PGA Tour already. When you talk with leagues, is the pitch we're going to bring you people that maybe don't know where to find new people that wouldn't have been watching otherwise, or is the pitch your fans might just need a a, a booster just to, to just, just to be aware of what's going on? I've been curious if. Kind of the, the 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 buzzer idea brings in people that wouldn't have otherwise been watching, or finds the specific NBA fans that are out there and gives them just a little nudge that hey, it might be time to turn on the the Bucks game. I do think that the NBA fans uh, have uh, you know a sense of awareness and means to actually watch a game itself, right? I think the real opportunity here specifically is within Gen Z and younger millennials that have been habitually trained to just consume highlights and clips that have been, you know, really optimized for TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, right? And so uh, when you're looking at, when you're talking to the leagues, your most valuable asset or IP is live sports rights, right? And it it is no um, secret that there is an engagement problem when it comes, a live engagement problem when it comes to uh, Gen Z and younger millennials, right? And so our appeal to leagues and rights holders is how do we engage with, that audience, you know, before it becomes a highlight or a clip, right? And so, um, you know, taking a step back, there are, you know, three broad, you know, macros or trends that are happening in the industry. One is the fragmentation of sports rights where, you know, different uh, events or different uh, sports are playing in different channels and different networks and part of different subscriptions, right? And that continues to be the case here, right? Uh, Second is um, there is a, you know, as I mentioned, a generational gap when it comes to consumption of live sports, right? Um, and then, and then third is this whole notion around the bundling and unbundling of media. I feel like it happens every four or five years, right? Where every network right now has a subscription, you know, video on demand service, right? And so, 
Um, so now uh, we as consumers are subscribing on four, five, six. I think the uh, the uh, I think I saw a Nielsen reporter uh, that said that the average household has seven subscriptions per household. Right. And, and, and they're so, paying what they would have paid for the cable bundle years ago anyway. Remember how it was absolutely. supposed to really bring the cost down? But now absolutely. you're pretty much back to the cable bundle. Absolutely. And so, so now you don't know what you're paying for anymore, right? And so curation and discovery is a real problem, right? And so we've been very deliberate in how and what we build in terms of a product, right? And so uh, we've, we've built, you know, three, uh, you know, very simple products. One is micropayments, meaning pay for content that you want to watch and what you want to watch only, right? Uh, we find that the current uh, uh, Bo, Bo, let me let me let me jump in though for a second. Is that absolutely. a generational thing too? Like I always go with my my focus group of one. Here comes my twelve year old, right? Who you said he will not sit down on the couch and he's sports agnostic. He won't watch any of it. NFL. Uh, PGA, baseball, doesn't matter. He will, but he will play Xbox. And believe me, my credit card and I know better than most that he does not give an iota about a microtransaction. I want a skin. I want to buy a new pack of cards and in, in the show. So is that a generational thing too? Because I'm not paying it. I'm sorry. I'm not paying it. But my kid doesn't even think twice about it. That's why it makes sense that we are focusing on Gen Z and younger millennials because it is a generational thing, right? But it's also, I, I do think that we can tap into a casual sports audience that is, you know, at first unwilling to subscribe to a reoccurring monthly subscription, right? But over time, what we do find, and what we hope to find, is that micropayments over time should justify the economics of the subscription, Um because if we do the right thing in terms of surfacing you the right moments at the right time, you will pay for those moments because these are very highly emotional yet fleeting moments. But to your point about the generational uh, you know, behavior around micropayments, we are taking a lot of cues from the gaming industry, right? Because um, digital goods, you know, badging, you know, these are all micro uh, uh, transactional behavior. And so uh, we do want to behave in a way that the younger generation behave and meet them where they already are, which is fully mobile, right? And so uh, back to your 12-year-old, if you're watching a full-length you know, baseball game, you know, more likely than not, your 12-year-old, if, if he or she has a, uh, a mobile phone, is probably facing down, right? They're, they're probably looking down on the mobile screen. And so for us, it's how do we engage with them while they're looking down on their mobile screen? We're speaking with Bo Han, CEO of, of Buzzer. And Bo, you teased it at the beginning. You guys just raised $20 million Series A round. There's some institutional investors in there. There's also some big name celebrities, just to name a few, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, Naomi Osaka, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I assume you can raise money in a lot of different places. Give us an idea of what you guys benefit from taking some of that capital from some of the biggest names in the sports and entertainment world. Absolutely. Um these individuals, uh, player investors, um, are individual distribution channels of their own, right? Mm. Uh, they're also marketing channels uh, on their own. Um, one of the key you know, selling points of Buzzer is, hey, you are physically in the content that we're trying to distribute, right? And so there is an appeal to that. Um, secondly, you know, it's no you know, secret that the, next, the, the future generation of fans are player first, right? This is no knock on the sport, the team, or the league. It's just that people gravitate towards individuals, right? Uh, look at LeBron James. Look at Naomi Osaka. Look at Patrick Mahomes, right? These are individuals uh, that, you know, look at 
the phenomenon around Mookie Betts, where Red Sox uh, jerseys quickly turn into Dodger jerseys because Gen Z and younger millennials just simply love Mookie Don't Betts, care. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're, we're taking cues from you know the, these different consumer habits, specifically within Gen Z and younger millennials. So I know how important it is to have the right individuals that are invested into, into this. You know, and um, when, you're, when you're looking at, you know, with the exception of the two goats of Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky, um, the, the players that we've really engaged with are younger players, right? That are, you know, Gen, Gen Z and younger millennials uh, in their own right. One of the things I, I've been glued in the past 24 hours to Giannis Antetokounmpo's Instagram account, and to your point about athletes being platforms, is there a way in the future for Buzzer to incorporate that into its system to, to let me know right after the Bucks win the, the, the NBA finals. Oh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is, is live on Instagram right now. I missed the original part of it. Cause I was watching like most people, my age and older, I was watching the ESPN feed. Uh, I would have first loved... time Eben Novi Williams has really <laughs> called himself old. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's buzzer is bringing it and, you know, as we were watching that linear TV thing. Exactly. Like a dinosaur. Um, I would have loved some kind of, and, and, and Twitter can do this in some ways, but I would have loved some kind of a, some a just nudge. nudge that is, yeah. Hey, you know, Giannis is actually having the most impactful moment of the celebration. I, I found it on TV Twitter. You're watching. Yeah, honestly, on I found it on Twitter. I saw people saying Giannis is live on Insta right now talking to his brother. So I switched. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we, we do. The, the great thing about really ingesting and, and knowing what you are um, interested in, right? And this could be based off of who you follow on social accounts, whether it be Twitter or Instagram. Um, but it's part part of the onboarding process where you know Evan signs up and say, "Hey, I'm Evan. I'm interested in NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB. Get the teams I'm interested in, or the players I'm interested in." Um, you know, later on, maybe we you know integrate um, your fantasy roster or your bet slips, um, or you can just say, "Hey, I'm from the Bay Area. I'll learn you when Bay Area sports are playing." Um, and that onboarding process will really understand what you're interested in. And to your point about non-live game material, but still live moments that revolve around players that you're interested in. Absolutely. Um, one of the, the key focus areas for us is how do we focus on something that's very simple, but very valuable and ephemeral like live sports. And if we can create habit of tuning, uh, of folks tuning in, then absolutely down the line where you get an alert saying Giannis is in the locker room talking to his brother because he couldn't join him in the locker room. Um, that's something that could be very interesting for Evan because Evan has raised his hand saying, I'm a Giannis fan. Right. Now, I, I, I'm wondering right now if I was a pro sports team owner listening to this, I, I know there's different ways of monetizing and how do I get in on it, but hearing that folks care more about the athletes than the team brands, that would scare the bejesus out of me. That the loyalty goes to player, not to team, because it's always been the heart, the emotional tug, the generational component was to the team. It wasn't to the player. If you're, if you could have like like a player if he left, but I'm almost sensing like maybe allegiance. Just to use one of your great SAT words here, is allegiance ephemeral? Is it transportable, or are, are do you think sports fans are still sticking with their favorite team? But if the player goes, well, I go with them. I, I, again, I think it's a generational uh, thing, especially for Gen Z and younger millennials. You'll start looking at your superstars in a different way, right? Um, I, I, I saw a tweet uh, that Joe Pomplano uh, tweeted, I think, earlier this morning, where uh, the Milwaukee Bucks valuation in 2013 was $312 million, um, and in 2021, $1.86 billion. Why took 2013? That's when... 
they drafted Giannis, right? So there is a very when Giannis came in. It's almost like I, I almost knew that yeah, you would ask that question. But, um, you know, it, you see tangible value and, and material value of your team increasing. So, I mean, if you're West Edens, do you really care? You know, your team is worth a lot. And, and Giannis is driving those eyeballs and that engagement. And you're probably selling more Bucks jerseys because of that, right? And more people are coming to uh, the Bucks stadium because of Giannis. Um, so I, I do think that, it becomes yeah. one of the biggest, you know, draws in terms of marketing. Can I can I ask you a little bit about that superstar cap table? We've heard so much that what athletes are looking for these days are different. No longer is it you pay me and you can use my name. It, it's all about equity. Um, what was the ask of Buzzer? How, how are you compensating these folks? Um, I mean, they like any other investor. They they invested in. Uh, the vision and the mission of what uh, Buzzer is and what we are about and the potential of what we can become. Um, I do think that from a more qualitative aspect, we've, um, alongside Buzzer, uh, we created a nonprofit uh, arm of Buzzer called Strive. And uh, this started out last year where we um, really dedicated the company and, and we really recommitted the company to uh, drive equitable outcomes, uh, utilizing sport as kind of the platform itself. And so uh, this came about right after the pandemic and after everything uh, shut down, um, where uh, we saw a racial reckoning that was happening in our country. And it really uh, prompted me to think about how we structure um, our company in a meaningful and a mission-led way. And so uh, we, we decided to dedicate 1% of our company, uh, of our cap table, that will never be diluted uh, in future rounds, that's dedicated towards um, really driving equitable outcomes for communities of color, specifically the black community and Latinx community. We've also dedicated 1% of our net profits towards those efforts as well. And then later on, we're providing a, an option for our customers to round up their micropayments of 1% uh, to uh, really uh, you know, uh, support those causes as well. Uh, the reason why I talk about it is that um, player investors um, are very much discerning investors and they want to not only be uh, around the best products, but also want to be something, be around something that's very meaningful, that aligns with their values and their mission, right? And so, having those initial talks with, you know, Michael Jordan's team or Patrick Mahomes' team or Naomi Osaka's team, you know, those type of values seem to resonate. So beyond just the uh, the compelling uh, investment opportunities that we can provide through um, our products and the potential that we can create. Um, I do think that the mission and the values that we project out in the world is something that was very appealing to them, especially during the investment round. I see a lot of kind of synergies with what you're building and what the sports betting industry right now is kind of trying to build. I see applications there across. How do you think about the the sports betting, the, the explosion of sports betting as an industry in the U.S. and where what that might mean for for Buzzer? Yeah, I mean, we I, I think that because we are a real time live sports platform. Uh, we've become very complementary to complementary to uh, what's happening with sports betting, right? And so we def- don't necessarily want to be in the operating business, but we want to be a partner with all the betting operators out there uh, because, um, as we say internally, but also externally, every notifiable moment on Buzzer could be a bettable moment, right? And so if we can, um, you know, really optimize on c- speed and simplicity of these live moments, the natural extensions are there. Right. And it's not only betting. Right. It could be collectibles. It could be NFTs. Sure. It could be merchandising. It could be ticketing. 
right? And so betting is just one aspect of, um, you know, what we can easily extend um, because at the end of the day, what we are building at Buzzer is that last mile technology uh, that drives uh, sports fans to live and ephemeral moments in sports. So if we can do that one right, then the extensions become very, very natural and sports betting is one of them. Bo, did I give you an idea, by the way, the other night on Twitter, because I'm sitting there watching TV and Hoosiers was on and they called timeout and Gene Hackman was setting up the timeout for, you know, for Jimmy Chitwood. And I, I, I tweeted at you saying, hey, final scene of Hoosiers. How about a buzzer for that? Like, I know people who want to know when that's on it, but I can't keep track. Or, you know, if Rudy's going to get in the game, if it, you know, if the chant is just starting, Rudy, Rudy, I want to change the channel. So are we going to go beyond live sports and just give me all things that sports fans want to see? Let me know what's coming. I do think in the short term, we're going to focus on live sports, but you did give us an idea or a real life example of how valuable uh, that moment could be, uh, especially if, if it's something that's very familiar, right? Um, I do think that live sports is something that's very appealing because we all know, we're all familiar with the teams, we're familiar with the players, but we also know how exciting it is. But also... You know, I've seen Hoosiers like 10 times. And so I know those moments are, are pretty exciting. So if, um, if we notify those moments, then that can be very, very interesting as well. All right. Bo Hahn, founder of Buzzer. Thanks so much for taking some time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bo. Our thanks, of course, to Bo Hahn. But Novi Williams, I love this. Breaking news literally, literally after the buzzer. You, you don't get that all the time. But this one counts after the buzzer. So you and I... We were done. The show was done. But we said, no, 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 no. We're going to log on again. We have to discuss it. Texas and Oklahoma, according to the Houston Chronicle, Texas and Oklahoma, doesn't get bigger in college football than that, have made inquiries about joining the SEC. That is a massive, massive move in the world of college football. Yeah, and this just got reported about 15 minutes ago, Scott. So, so there's a lot of caveats here. It's it's still kind of hard to tell how realistic this is. If this is going to happen, maybe going to happen, unlikely to happen. Uh, but you're right. This would be a massive, massive paradigm shift in the world of college sports. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma, as I think most people who who follow college sports know, they're two of the bigger programs in the country. They are certainly the two biggest programs in the Big 12. The SEC is the king of all conferences already. That's the that's the league with Alabama, with Florida, with LSU, with Tennessee. Uh, if they were to add Texas and Oklahoma, we're talking about a 16-team super conference. You know, the the the, the future in which the just the biggest school biggest schools in the in the country all get together in in one league, you're getting pretty darn close to that if the two biggest schools in the Big 12 end up moving over to the SEC. Yeah, I mean, like the Big 12 powers have a grant of rights to the conference that runs through June of 2025. I mean, that is yeah. not that far away. That That's when the uh, the current TV contracts end. And you talk about Super League. Yeah, I, I mean, it already is what most would consider the best and richest conference in college football. Uh, to add those two powers, you got any numbers for me as to what some of these schools spend, how the conferences stack up? 
Yeah, so we have the for the public schools in the Big 12 in 2019, so the last year before the pandemic hit. Here's the budgets for the the public schools in the in the Big 12. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Iowa State all in 95 million. West Virginia 98 million. We have Kansas and Nebraska between 120 and 108. Oklahoma 154 million dollar budget, Texas 202 million dollar budget. So these are two again, we're talking head and shoulders above the rest of the Big 10. If I shift this over to look at the SEC kind of in the same time frame, you have Texas A&M, a, a former Big 12 school and, and a neighbor of, of these schools geographically that made the jump a number of years ago. They're the biggest in the, in, in, in the SEC at 169, LSU, Kentucky, 148, et cetera. Um, Alabama right in there as well, obviously. So, you know, we're, again, we're talking about merging four, five, six, seven, eight of the biggest programs in the Southeast and the South uh, into one conference with huge ramifications, obviously, for the rest of the Big 12. Who steps up? Does Houston join the Big 12 to replace Texas or Oklahoma? Uh, The other big, really interesting part of this, Scott, which will have to be unwound, the Longhorn Network, which which Texas built with ESPN a long time ago, it's essentially the main reason why the Big 12 never got a conference-wide media network off the ground like pretty much every other major conference did. It's also the main reason why the the Big 12's main revenue source is not as high as it is in the SEC or in the Big 10. That's a contract that, that Texas has with ESPN. I believe it runs through 2031. The SEC network is also a joint venture with ESPN, so... If that needs to be unwound in some capacity, the fact that it's all within the Disney family might make that easier. Um, but again, there's just so many little moving parts here that need to be figured out if this is going to be a reality. But it would be such a big shift. And 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 to underscore this point, Mark Emmert, the the man who runs the NCAA, made it clear earlier this week in in a kind of rapid depart a radical departure from what has been the NCAA stance for a long time kind of wondering if a decentralized NCAA might be the future in which individual conferences have a lot more power than they have right now. And in that scenario in which conferences have more power and suddenly the SEC adds Oklahoma and Texas, then you're talking about a perfect confluence of events to build kind of the power nexus in college sports right now. I guess I don't have to say anything else. You know, you, you just covered. I love when I get to sit back and like worry about closing the show because sometimes it gets convoluted, as you well know from last week. I don't want to bring it up. But anyway, <laughs> he is Evan Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on the Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman, and she demands, she doesn't really, but she really likes it when we tell you that the show can be found on the Twitter at Sportacast, which is the hub of what I promise soon will become the Sportico Podcast Network. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.